Well, good morning again, Hillcrest. Wasn't that a blessing that the choir just did? And Jacques, aren't they uh, so good and so rich and so real? God bless them. And uh, God bless you all this morning. We're grateful that everybody's here today. Special welcome to those of you that are from the Spanish Trail campus this morning. Love you guys and are thankful for you and pray that your worship experience has been a really good one today. Wherever you may be this morning, if you've got a copy of God's Word, let's be finding the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter number 6. We're in a series of messages we're calling the Jesus Method. Jesus taught in large part by asking very pointed questions in order to develop some very sharp disciples. And the questions of our Lord Jesus Christ still ring today loudly and clearly. That reading them today off of the pages of the New Testament, 2,000-year-old works uh, are just as fresh, just as modern, just as applicable to everyday life today, practical life and spiritual life. Uh, and today we're going to look at what amounts really, frankly, as we read the passage, to a series of questions that Jesus is dealing with that concern one critical and yet very practical concept that virtually everybody in the room deals with at some point or another along the way in life. In fact, all of the questions that Jesus asks in this paragraph that we're going to take a minute to walk through this morning can really, I think, be reduced to one summary question, which is one of the most practical of all. And here's the question. Are y'all listening? Say amen. Why do you worry about your life. That hit anybody this morning? Would you say amen? Why do you worry about your life? Jesus has quite a bit to say about that, and so let's read it, Matthew chapter 6. Y'all had not had to stand a whole lot today. Why don't we stand in honor of the reading of the holy and precious and eternal word of the living God. Verse 25 is where we'll begin. We'll read 10 verses together this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today uh, is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And my, 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 isn't that the truth this morning? 
Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for these timely reminders today and extended teaching because it's a troubling matter that all of us usually deal with at some point or another. We pray this morning that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts may be acceptable in your sight as we address this important question, why do you worry about your life? May everything we say and do be all for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray and let all God's people say amen. Thank you, church family. You can be seated. Um, I think I can say this with a relative uh, degree of certainty. This room today is full of worry warts. Amen. And the reason that I know that's true is because Pensacola, Florida, is full of worry warts. The state of Florida is full of worry warts. The United States of America is full of worry warts. The whole world is populated by worry warts. The media helps us along those lines to stay stirred up all the time. They play to our fears, I think, just about every day, giving us stories about how virtually everything we eat or drink is killing us, amen. I mean, the stories always change, don't they? You know, eat this and you'll be healthy, and then 12 years later, eat this same thing and it will kill you shaving 10 years off of your life. And so the media tends to play or to feed these fears by what they tell us, and we worry about all kinds of things. We worry about climate changes, and many of us are worried today about tax law changes. I read in the papers where everybody's now getting really surprised because there wasn't enough withholding taken out of their paychecks, and everybody thought they was going to get a big refund, and now they're getting a smaller refund, if any at all, and so people are now worried financially. We worry about storm seasons in Florida. Even more than storm seasons, we worry about football seasons in Florida. Isn't that right? We worry about the job market. We worry about the stock market. We worry about the housing market. Some of y'all get all worked up as to whether or not you'll find a deal when you go to the flea market. Amen. I think it was several years ago. I remember, I think maybe when I was in high school or college, Bobby McFerrin came out with that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Yeah, y'all will be, that'll be in your mind the rest of the day, right? I'm telling you, people sing it. People put T-shirts on with the phrase on it, great big smiley face. But it seems to me like nobody really knows how to live it. And that being the case, and given that Jesus devotes some pretty significant space to the issue here, what do we need to know as we grapple with this very practical everyday question that evidently people were struggling with back in the first century AD, why do you worry about your life? The first thing that we notice from this passage of scripture is that Jesus cautions us against worry. There's an overt caution that it's something that we ought not do. The word worry, or as it's translated here in the English Standard Version of the Bible, uh, anxiety occurs 10 times in 10 verses that we read just a moment ago. Three times Jesus said directly, do not be anxious, which of course is an imperative. It's a direct command, and that's important to understand. Jesus is not saying, you know what, you ought not be anxious. It's really not good for you. 
He's not suggesting that we be anxious. Jesus is telling us that if you are prone to anxiety, that you're outside of the will of God. This is a commandment, which means that if we're given over to constant worry, we're basically living in disobedience to God. I'm well aware that there may be physiological forces, emotional forces, psychological forces that do cause some people to be something of chronic worriers. I I do not discount that. But most of the anxiety that we experience as believers is simply immature faith. Jesus is telling us not to do it. And if Jesus is telling us not to do it, then it, got, it has to be something that we should, by faith, have the ability to overcome. Isn't that right? If he's telling us not to do it, then we ought to be able not to do it. Somebody say amen. And that's why persistent worry on the part of the Christ follower is simply a lack of faith. In fact, it's sin, plain and simple. It's disobedience to God. Because what we're saying to God when we live in a constant, a constant state of anxiety is, God, I love you, but I really don't trust you. I say I believe that you're sovereign, but in my practical life, I really don't believe it, right? And the Bible said, in fact, Jesus says directly as he's confronting this crowd, he calls them people of what kind of faith? Little faith. Oh, you of what? Say it out loud. Little faith. And the Bible says, does it not? Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. So theologically, here's the first thing you need to understand. It's impossible to live in anxiety and please God at the same time. This is why we need victory over the demon of worry. As it's used here, the word worry is a compound word in the Greek New Testament. And a compound word is basically where you form a word from two distinct words that you kind of scrunch together to form a new word. And the first part of the word worry is a word that means to divide or to split. And the second part of the word is a word, a noun that uh, basically is translated mind. And so to divide the mind, a worrier by definition is someone with a divided mind, somebody who's inwardly torn up inwardly split over issues, inwardly distracted and divided. What happens in the life of a disciple who's given over to worry is there is this constant battle that goes on in their life between faith on the one hand and fear on the other. And when fear becomes larger in your life than faith in God, fear of the future, fear of circumstances, fear of whatever, whenever fear overshadows the faith of God in your life, it's at that point that you become a divided person who tends to worry over things that you have little or any control over. So the first thing that we notice here is that Jesus cautions us very directly against worry. Do not worry about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. But having said that and having established that, Let's dig a little deeper and see if we can determine why that's so difficult to do. Because Jesus moves from this caution against worry to secondly, illustrating the causes of worry. What is it that brings about this condition of anxiety that seems to overwhelm so many people in the body of Christ? Well, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus illustrates three principal concerns. These aren't the only causes of worry, but they tend to be general categories 
that will basically include most any cause of worry that you can think of, three principal concerns that lie at the heart of most people's worry. The first is food, and by food, of course, that's a broad topic that basically would include the necessities of life. Notice in verse 26, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father, what? Feeds them. Are you, and this is a critical question, are you not of more value than they. Now, Jesus, of course, is using the concept of birds to make a point about how he cares for his creation. Judy and I have a bird feeder that sits right outside the screened-in porch, and I, we love to catalog the different kinds of birds. I've, I've cataloged all kinds of birds that have come. Some come in the spring and then go away. Some are year-round birds. Some are more obvious in the fall of the year for whatever reason, but we watch them. And it would be a mistake for me to walk into the house flexing my muscles saying, you know, God ought to be very thankful for me that I'm feeding these birds, right? Those birds don't need me to feed them. I do it because it makes me happy and it kind of brings a sense of peace into my life to see them out there, but they don't need me to hang a bird feeder. They just go somewhere else and find food. They don't have to plant. In fact, the thing about birds is they live basically carefree lives, don't they? You'll never see a bird on the limb outside of your house clutching its heart because it's concerned about having enough worms to feed the babies in the nest. It will never happen. They don't worry about stuff like that. They're carefree. And I've hardly ever in my life met a person that I believe to be totally carefree. And yet I believe that we could live that way if we walk in close connection with the Lord Jesus Christ, those birds don't have to plant, they don't have to work in the fields, they don't harvest crops, they're not burdened with storing food or canning food, yet they don't go hungry. They live day to day, totally dependent on what God provides them to meet their needs, and he always does. Now that's not to say that we ought to just lay around all the time with our mouths open and God's just gonna drop food into our mouths. That's not the way it works. In fact, that's not even the way it works for birds. What's the old saying? The early bird, what? Catches the worm. They still have to get out and scratch for it. Can I have an amen? And so this is not a statement against work, a, a, a pro-laziness and just let God know you got to get out and do what you're called to do and what the Bible prescribes for us to do as a means of earning a living and earning an income. But the bottom line is God has promised to meet the needs of those who are his. The, the, the bottom line question here is a question of worth. Jesus' point is, look, if God provides for these birds, how much more will he provide for his children? I mean, think about it. What kind of farmer feeds his, feeds his chickens and starves his kids? We wouldn't say he was a very good farmer. Listen, birds aren't created in the image of God. You're created in the image of God. This is why Jesus asked the question, are you not more valuable than they? Are you not of greater significance than the birds? Of course you are, because we know from the scriptures that you're the crown jewel of God's creation. Of all God created, he looked out over his created order, and on the sixth day after he had made man, God said that it was very good. And you're the climax, the, the high watermark of God's 
creative power. The only thing made on planet earth created in the image of God. You're the greatest work in all creation. And what you should never forget is that God has promised to care for you. There's a second cause for worry that Jesus mentions here, and it's fashion. First food, and then fashion. And man, are we not consumed today with fashion? Not, I'm not talking about the necessity of clothing. What causes worry is what kind of clothing we wear. Oh my, I'm gonna step on everybody's toes this morning. Man, I just came back from Birmingham, and of course my girls had to, I, I can, I'm not going to do this in the second hour because my girls are going to be in the second hour, but I'm going to tell you all in the first. We went to this big shopping complex, and I just at one point started counting the number of retail outlets at this big shopping complex in Birmingham, Alabama. And I mean, I counted and I counted until I got tired of counting. People coming in, people going out. Man, all you have to do is look at the variety of clothing stores, online retailers, especially retailers to know that fashion is important to people today. And anymore, it's not that we don't have enough to wear. You can get all you want to wear and all you need to wear down to the thrift store. I didn't think I was going to get an amen to that. I knew it wasn't coming. <laughs> but you can the American church. Somebody say amen today. I knew I wasn't going to get one. Throw me a bone every so often. It's that we don't have the right kind of clothes to wear that worries us. And I'm not saying you shouldn't look your best. You ought to look your best. Nothing wrong with nice clothes. The problem is people have made a God out of fashion today. And when they can't keep up with the Joneses, it causes stress in life. Look at verse 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? Now, this is 2,000 years ago, people. Come on. They were struggling. They, they just wore tunics back then for crying out loud. And yet the fact Jesus would address this to that Galilean crowd, that Galilean crowd wasn't even respected down south in Jerusalem. They were considered country bumpkins for crying out loud. And yet here he is on a Galilean hillside talking primarily to peasants and he's addressing the issue of anxiety caused by not having the right kind of clothing to wear. Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And so Jesus now moves from the practical illustration of birds, the fowl of the air, now to the practical illustration of the flowers in the fields. Flowers are beautiful. I love flowers. They bloom where they're planted, right? Whether anybody appreciates them or not, they just do their thing. They just burst forth in this beautiful array of colors, a rainbow of styles, rainbows of colors. Judy and I lived for four years in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, and one of my favorite times of the year was always the month of April because that's when the blue bonnets bloomed in Texas. And the blue bonnets would come forth, those beautiful dark purple flowers, and they, they intentionally threw them over all the interstate highways, over the sides of the roads, and they would bloom. And every April, you'd have this just burst of purple. And on Sundays, 
on the side of Interstate 20 and on the side of Interstate 30 as people were coming and going from church, people would pull off on the side of the road on the interstate and pull their babies out dressed in beautiful white flowing gowns or white jumpsuits and they would go over on the side of the road and we would set those babies down in those fields of blue bonnets and everybody would pull out the camera and we'd make pictures there while cars were racing by at 140 miles an hour, right? Everybody paid attention to the Texas blue bonnet. So let me ask you a question. Do you think the tulips down at the Fort Worth Botanical Gardens got all stressed out because nobody was paying them any attention? Nobody's coming to visit us. Nobody's bringing their kids to plop down in the midst of the tulip patch. Now, they didn't get worried about that. They just focused on the wonder and the splendor of being a tulip. They blossomed and they grew and they existed without concern of what was happening to any other flower, any other place. They just existed and grew as God created them to do, totally and completely stress-free. Look at verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, flowers aren't here for very long, I spent $875 for roses for my wife for Valentine's Day. They'll be dead by the end of this week, all right? They're alive today and tomorrow, good for nothing thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? What Jesus is talking about there is how those dead grasses and those dead flowers were often used as fuel for Palestinian ovens. You cook your food right in the middle of the house most of the time. And so you'd go out and you'd gather those dead bits of kindling that at one time were beautiful in the field but didn't last for very long and now they're good for nothing except to stoke a fire. And Jesus is saying, if that's the case, how much more valuable are you? If God so provides for the flowers of the field in that kind of way and the grass of the field, here today, gone tomorrow, How much more will he care for you created in his divine image? You see, again, the issue is a question of worth. Nothing is more valuable to God than a human life, than a human soul. You're worth much more to God than flowers. And then finally, there's a third cause for worry that Jesus mentioned. This one will catch all of us because you may be sitting here saying, "I've I've never even had a thought of missing a meal in my life. I've never had a thought of not having clothes on my back or a roof over my head. The third thing Jesus mentions is worry about the future, and that tends to, cut, that tends to touch just about everybody. Look at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about what? Say it out loud. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. My grandparents used to talk about borrowing trouble. I can hear my grandmother saying it. Now, she's been with the Lord for many years, and I'd bring something up. She'd say, you just need to quit borrowing trouble. Not borrowing trouble, borrowing trouble. Can I have an amen? Quit borrowing trouble. And uh, she understood it, even in her older years, that most of the stuff that she'd worried about in her life never really came to pass. All it did was to serve to keep us stirred up all the time. 
Jesus is saying, don't, listen, don't worry, don't ruin today by borrowing potential trouble for tomorrow. We, yet we seem to be so preoccupied about tomorrow. Man, we focus on whether or not we're going to be able to retire, whether Social Security is going to be solvent, whether Medicare is going to be solvent, whether our job is going to be there this time next year. We worry about whether or not we're going to be able to provide for our children. I've got a clipping that I cut out of the USA Today in 1997, I believe it was, not long after Seth was born. I still have it somewhere down there. And it was an article back, and he's almost 22 years old now, so it was a long time ago. But I clipped that thing out when I was a young pastor, and we had young kids at home. And that article indicated that the average cost of raising a child to age 17 in the United States was going to be just shy of $250,000 per child. And this was in the late 1990s. And that $250,000 per child didn't even include the cost of a college education. And so I looked up to see what the cost of a college education was purported to be for a child that was born in 1997, and I was blown away. I mean, I looked at those figures, and I just wilted before them. Judy was a stay-at-home mom, and we had made that decision. And I'm, I was making maybe $40,000 a year at the time for a family of four, and we'd made some decisions to cut back, and I'm thinking, there's no way. How, are we, how in the wide world are we going to be able to even possibly afford these kids. God, will you take them back? I mean, I... (laughs) And I look back today, and somehow we did it. And you ask, well, well, how did you do it? I'm not sure, except for the fact that the longer I live, the more I recognize that you cannot explain the supernatural economy of how God does what he does in human lives. It's not that we did it, it was that God did it. Martin Luther said near the end of his life when people were talking about how he had turned the world on its head in Protestant Reformation, He looked at them and said, I didn't do anything. The Word did it all. I just preached the Word, and the Word of the living God changed everything. It did not need my help. And that was true with God. It's true with God in your life and in mine. So I'm just saying this morning, repeating what Jesus is saying, look, here's the deal. Quit worrying about tomorrow. You've got enough challenges to meet today without worrying about what may or may not happen tomorrow. And let me remind you again, I remember hearing it from my preacher when I was a kid. Most of the stuff that we worry about never comes to pass. And even if it did come to pass, most of that stuff you can't affect by worrying anyway. You, can't, you, can't, you couldn't change it even if you wanted to, so there's no point in worrying about it. Don't let that stuff that potentially may happen tomorrow keep you from enjoying the blessings that God pours into your life every day. Is it not true? This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, That takes us to a third dimension of this teaching, and that is that there are consequences when you do worry. Jesus reminds us of the consequences of worry, and I shouldn't have to tell you that worry is a costly thing. Really, in two dimensions, it's costly because of what it does to you, 
And it's costly because of what it does, the effect that it has on others. Jesus asked a question in verse 27, which is really the principal question that we raise from this text today. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Some of you may be using a translation because the text is not totally clear there, but some translations say, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his, to his stature, or to use our language, a single inch to his height? Well, the answer to both of those questions, regardless of how you tra translate it, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life or a single inch to his height, the import is still exactly the same. You can't add an inch to your height by worrying about it. And so if you have a dream of being a basketball player, it's not gonna matter whether you get up every day and go and measure yourself in hopes that you're gonna be six foot five and worrying every night before you go to bed about whether or not you'll end up shorter than six foot five. That's not gonna affect whether you're six one or six two or six five. It's not gonna matter. And it's certainly not gonna add an additional moment, much less an hour, much less a day, week, month, or a year, or a series of years to your life. In fact, can I just say it? The exact opposite is true. Jesus' point here is that worry never adds anything to life. It doesn't add inches to your height, and it doesn't add hours to your life. Worry never adds, it only takes away. It only subtracts from your life. It's a burden to your body, it causes insomnia, ulcers, nervous disorders, even heart problems. I've had people through the years in my churches that were taken to the hospital and everybody around them thought they were having a heart attack. They were not having a heart attack, they were having a full-blown panic attack. They only thought they were having a heart attack. It's interesting that our English word worry is taken from a German word. Vorgen, it sounds like worry, W-O-R-G-E-N. That's where we get the English worry. And the word in German is a word that means to strangle or to choke. Have you ever been so caught up in worry about something you thought might happen that you felt like you couldn't breathe? Worry can literally choke the breath out of you. That's what the concept basically implies. And the end result is that we've become a nation addicted to alcohol We've become a nation addicted to painkillers. We are people that consume aspirin and Tylenol and Advil like they're sacks of goldfish crackers. Much of that to counter the pain that's caused by stress and worry and anxiety. I'm just saying worry can literally kill you. It can shave years off of your life. But worry not only affects you, it can affect others as well. Jesus says here in verse 32, with respect to what we eat, what we drink, what we wear, the future, he says in verse 32, for the Gentiles, what? Say it out loud. Seek after all these things. Now keep that word seek in mind because here in a minute we're going to get to verse 32 and there's going to be a transition that revolves around the concept of seeking. So there's another question to throw out on the table. What are you seeking in life? Because whatever it is that you're seeking may have a direct effect on your, the peacefulness of your heart or the presence of anxiety in your life. The Gentiles seek after these things, food, fashion, fitness, 
the future. They're focused on things that are temporal. The Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, this is something of an indictment because Jesus is basically comparing the warrior to a pagan. The Gentiles, the lost, those who know nothing about God. The Gentiles seek after all these things. And so Jesus says, when you worry, you're reacting like the world, not like somebody who has a relationship with the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And that's why many have referred to worry, as you may want to write this down, worry is what? Practical atheism. Practical atheism. And the life of someone who vocally gives testimony to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the worrier is a vocal theist while living as a practical atheist. It's damaging to your testimony about the Lord. We vocalize faith verbally, but practically we deny God by the way we often respond to life. So chronic worry doesn't communicate a very big view of God. It really does distract from your testimony. So there are consequences with respect to worry. So what's to be done about it? Well, thankfully and finally, Jesus prescribes the cure for worry. Let me leave you with three practical steps in winning the battle with worry. And time is against us this morning, so I have to be very brief, and I'm just going to leave these with you for the most part. First, put first things first. And this is where Matthew 6.33, which is one of the great life verses of all, love Matthew 6.33, One of the most important statements of the Bible, one of the most important things Jesus ever says. Most tend to forget that Matthew 6.33 comes right in the middle of the context of Jesus' teaching about worry. And what does it say? Let's just say it out loud together. It'll be on the screen. Let's say it. Ready? Together. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Let's say it again. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Remember, in the previous verse, Jesus said, the Gentiles seek after the things. My people should be seeking after me. And for those who seek after me rather than the things, they can trust me to add the things to their life that they need in order to live the life that I intentionally want to bless. Now, isn't that encouraging today? And that's why this becomes really one of the most important things Jesus ever says. Seek first the kingdom. The Gentiles seek after the things. And they don't even acknowledge God. So you don't worry about the things. You just seek the Lord. And seeking the Lord obviously implies prayer. Write the word prayer in the margin of your notes. As the old saying goes, worry about nothing, but pray about what? Everything. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. The Bible says it directly in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. That's where we get it. Worry about nothing, Pray about everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, 
that elusive peace that every single one of us want, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let me just say this. Y'all still with me? Say amen. If your life is prayerless, there's very little hope for conquering the demon of worry in your life. The prayer warrior is the one who gets victory over the demon of worry. Jesus already said in this sermon, no man can serve two masters. And that's where a lot of us get into trouble. Don't seek the things first. Seek the Lord first. Put first things first. Focus your life and your future on kingdom purposes. Trust God to take care of you. God says, if you take care of my business, I'll take care of yours. Amen. Second, live one day at a time. Live one day at a time. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. When you worry about tomorrow, you lose sight of how wonderful God is today. Worry blinds you to the blessings that God has given you today. It robs you of the joy of the day. Really, today's all we've got. Do you have even a promise for tomorrow? How many of you know for sure today you're even gonna be alive tomorrow? I see no hands. And mine is raised, but rhetorically, because I'm not sure I'm going to be around tomorrow. I hasten to add, I hope that I will be. But I have no promise for tomorrow. This is the day that the Lord has made. So don't let what may or may not happen tomorrow steal the joy out of today, because frankly, tomorrow may never come. Even Garth Brooks knew that. Amen. Tomorrow may never come. So live one day at a time. Finally, trust God's promise to meet your needs. Trust God's promise to meet your needs. There's some people here today that need to, as I've said before, you need to resign your position as general manager of the universe. That's why you're worried. You think you control everything. And you're trying to control everything. Y'all are a bunch of control freaks is what you are. You can't handle it. You've never been able to handle it. You never will be able to handle it. So here's what we got to do. Quit trying to play God. That's why you're staying stressed out all the time. Philippians 4.19, I love it. And my God will supply every need of yours. King James Bible says all your need. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Isn't it great to know that the one who created it all is the one who owns it all, and the one who owns it all has promised to meet every need of your life, every need, all your needs. And so we're back to where we started. That being the case, why do you worry about your life? Will you live by fear or will you live by faith? That's what it all comes down to. What will it be? A life of fear or a life of faith? When it all, it all comes down to the, when it comes to winning the battle with worry, here's the bottom line. Do you really trust the Lord? Do you really? The victory over worry comes when our fears of tomorrow 
are overwhelmed by a faith in God who's time and again proven himself faithful to meet every promise that he's ever made, including the promise to meet the needs of our life. This is the word of God. And let all who agree say,